Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's episode is with Maz Sheikh. Maz Sheikh is a junior research fellow pursuing his PhD at the Center for Linguistics at Jawaharlal Nehru University in New Delhi, India. Maz is an emerging linguist who has research interests primarily in language documentation and description, as well as language revitalization, phonology, morphosyntax, and historical linguistics. Last year, Maz successfully defended his MPhil thesis at JNU on his heritage language, Azamgari, a unique Indo-Aryan language of which he is a semi-speaker. And in this episode, we'll hear from Maz on his experience and his opinions of documenting his language as an insider to the community. And he also has experience documenting a couple other languages. Specifically, at the moment, he's working on doing documentation on Zanskari, an endangered language of Ladakh. And Maz's story, story is so interesting to me, particularly because his perspective on the advantages, but also the challenges of being considered a child of everyone in the community where people really want to help you and want you to succeed, but also their investment in your future can cause them to be uh, discouraging about language revitalization and language research if they don't think that that language is valuable and in Maz's best interest in this case. Uh, So I found it very inspiring to hear him talk about his work and how he was able to persevere even when he faced resistance from his community to continue documenting and researching Azamgadi. Hi, Maz. How are you? Hello, Marty. Uh, I am good. I'm fine. Doing well right now. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, well, thank you for coming on to Field Notes to share your story. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is how did you first become involved in linguistics? Oh, uh, thank you so much for having me. And I start my journey of linguistics. Well, it started from uh, my undergrad days uh, when I was pursuing a degree in mechanical engineering. And I just, it didn't appeal me that much. I found it to be not boring, but actually less appealing field, especially after I passed my first and second year of my undergrad degree. So uh, during uh, those days, I started to wonder why why there was a sheer lack of uh, resources and technology in Indian languages because most of most of the higher education and uh, resources concerning that and other fields, also the use of technology, is in English here in India. So 
I got a bit annoyed by this. Like people from China use Chinese,、uh, European nations use all their languages. So I thought, why we can't use our language,、uh, Hindi, and other regional languages as well? So I started scrolling,、uh, scrolling Wikipedia pages and uh, uh, started learning about languages. And from that, I got to know what is linguistics, and I was so fascinated by studying about languages, and I、uh, decided my to pursue a master's degree at a、uh, University of Delhi. This path was not at all easy. I faced resistance from my family, from my extended family, since. After pursuing a mechanical engineering degree, I decided to pursue degree in linguistics, a、uh, um, um, uh, master of arts in linguistics. But yeah, that's how my career in linguistics began. Wow! So that's quite a shift. Then, like you said, from mechanical engineering to then change and and then to pursue linguistics. Can you elaborate on what? What you've done since you started the the master's degree, like how did your journey develop from there? So in India,、uh, linguistics is usually taught from、uh, the master's degree.、Uh, we hardly have any. We hardly have places where we get offered a a bachelor's degree in linguistics. People are from varied backgrounds,、uh, but most of them are from have their majors in English in in their undergrad. So I gave the entrance, and I was on the second or third position at the University of Delhi entrance. And I went to Delhi from Mumbai. And as I started to、uh, get exposure from in various courses from、uh, expert faculty members there, I started、uh, developing more and more. Interest and love for this field. A change came in this field where,、uh, where we had a course in the fourth semester by the name Field Methods, in which, in a classroom uh, uh, setting, we call upon a consultant or language informant and and work on the on a particular language, especially、uh, mainly on the North East Indian languages. So during our、uh, in our batch、uh, during our field methods course, we chose a language named Ladakhi. It is spoken in the Ladakh region of the northernmost part of India. It's a Tibetic language, and our our、uh, supervisor for that course, Dr. Gail Goelo, was very. Fascinating professor, a superb <laughs> expert in documentary and descriptive linguistics. So I really got fascinated by the language, of, uh, especially uh, by its challenging but interesting phonology and complex evidential constructions. So as you know, it is not always a painless task to find a topic for your research once your master's study <laughs> approach completion. <laughs> yeah, so. I, yeah. <laughs> so I started exploring related Western Tibetic languages,、uh, the neighboring languages, genetically related languages, and from 
from that point onwards, I decided to work on a language called Balti, which is spoken in Pakistan and some parts of India. But yeah, still, uh, since India and Pakistan have very non-friendly relationship, very hostile relationships at many like months or years, so it was next to impossible to get a Pakistani visa, as I learned. So from that point onwards, I decided at least for my, given the limited scope and duration of MPhil, I decided to work on my heritage language, Azamgari. That's really interesting. Um, I think that's an, an interesting point that you make about the visa difficulties to go to Pakistan, because it's something that a lot of field linguists face where they might be really interested in a language or there might be a language that doesn't have a lot of documentation or research. But if the political situation is difficult, then it's really tough to, and maybe unsafe as well in some cases, to to work on that language. Um, can you tell us more about the language context of Azamgari, like your heritage language for speakers who aren't familiar? Yeah, sure. Azamgari is a very uh, unique language. Avdi is a language spoken in Indo-Gangetic Plains in the Avad region of the state of Uttar Pradesh, India. And it's uh, they both are classified in the Eastern Hindi subgroup of the central group of the Indo-Aryan language family. So Azamgari is spoken exclusively by a significant number of the Muslim population in the greater Azamgarh region. Uh, which comprises the districts of Azamgarh and the newly carved district of Mau in 1889, I guess, and two tehsils, two administrative blocks of the Jaunpur, neighboring Jaunpur uh, district of the eastern Uttar Pradesh state of India. So its uniqueness is characterized by the fact that owing to the influence of the former uh, Mohammedan Awad court of Lucknow, the court of uh, the Sultan of Lucknow, the language having its origin from Avdi, an Eastern Hindi language, was adopted by the Zamindar, that is the land-holding Muslims of Azamgarh. And from them, it spread to other lower-class Muslims residing in the villages, dominated by these Zamindar, or, or uh, land-holding Muslims of Azamgarh, where Bhojpuri, a Bihari language, a language of another subgroup, is the vernacular. So it's it's very interesting that People in that region, Muslims, especially the upper class Muslims and other Muslims residing in those villages speak differently from the rest of the population. A different, a different language of two different subgroups uh, are spoken there. So Bhojpuri is the uh, substrate language, uh, whereas the superstratum uh, super influence came from Urdu. The high variety with immense social linguistics pr- prestige in the highly diglossic Azamgari speech community. And these influences caused Azamgari to diverge from its parent language of these significantly, and so much that it differs significantly in uh, verbal inflections, intonation patterns, etc., etc., uh, from, from the Avdi language of the Avad region. And if I elaborate more on Azamgari, it is uh, unfortunately neither recognized in the Indian senses, even in the dialect form of either Hindi or Urdu. 
and no proper record of the number of speaker exists. These all reasons, along with the complex social-linguistic setting of the Azunga region, make the estimation of the numbers a very challenging task. Also, in recent years, it is unfortunate that due to pressure from Urdu, Hindi, and English, this language is either loosely and not at all passed to the younger generation and is mainly restricted to rural homes. So the elite speakers, the so-called elite speakers, the speakers who consider themselves elite, the upper-class speakers who brought the then-prestigious Avdi language uh, now have turned to Urdu. So you can see like there is, uh, there is a hierarchy of a linguistic hierarchy uh, with Bhojpuri being at the lowest stratum, uh, then being Azamgari, and then being Urdu in the current scenario. And when I talk about dialectal variation, dialectal variation is co- indeed quite interesting, but very complex and tiresome to account, uh, especially in my MPhil dissertation, uh, which uh, ha- had a limited scope, and the, the dialects considerably differ from each other to a significant extent, probably due to the corresponding differences in the local varieties of the vernacular Bhojpuri of Azamgar that has left substratum influence on Azamgari. And also because Azamgari speakers were originally native speakers of Bhojpuri themselves before they adopted Azamgari as their mother tongue. And migration has also added to the existing dialectical variation complexity. and. Uh, one interesting point which I would like to add that something is also being added to the already existing social linguistic complexity, which is interdialectal group marriage. It is very common, especially in the last couple of generations, and it is observed that women retain their dialect even after marriage or at the most develop their own idiosyncratic variety, mixing their own native dialect with the in laws dialect and even more interesting is that their own native dialectal variety might be a mixture of two or more varieties if her if their parents hail from different generations uh different regions sorry can i can i ask a question real quick sure 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 please is it custom for the bride to move into the husband's family's house or is that because like I'm just wondering like you said that she will have influence from her in-laws dialect is that because she's now living in their home or is it just like common contact or more frequent contact with them after she gets married oh yes almost nearly 100 percent 99 to 100 the girl actually moves to their in-laws uh, home. So, since being exposed to that in-laws variety, there is some accommodation and some influence observed. Uh, yeah, especially if she's from a, di- a different dialect group. That's really interesting. Uh, and since Azamgari is merely an oral language with uh, the least standard uh, standardization compared to literary or semi-literary languages. Dialect leveling is very minimal. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's it's especially it's distinct then that the the new wives will retain their dialect if they're suddenly being immersed in a new in a new in law dialect, isn't it? 
yeah they'll they'll retain their dialect or at the most they'll uh create their own idiosyncratic variety like uh, with some influences from the in-laws one and mostly from her own mother variety yeah wow that's really cool if you give if you give me permission uh like i would in short i would love to talk about how i i actually came to uh, discovering this unique language Yes, please please do please do share that with us. Uh yeah, uh so if you see in the linguistics literature uh, there is no mention of this language. Actually the Azamgari is a name proposed by me. Um since if you go through my MPhil dissertation, what we say dissertation in India uh, is actually a thesis in North America. so it's also on my website which i will share uh, with you and you can share uh, with the audience yeah i'll link it in the show notes yeah great so george grierson who was the pioneer of the linguistic survey of india a british uh, and an irish uh, civil servant who was given the task to prepare some rec- record of indian languages uh was the first to mention muslims outside the avadh region spoke speaking an avadhi variety but he didn't mention azamgari specifically rather all of the varieties spoke of the originated varieties spoken outside the avadh region but i wasn't aware of this when i was some 15 years old i went to a trip to my native place azamgarh i stay in mumbai i was born and brought up in mumbai but we at least in one or two years we visit our uh, native place in that journey was interesting when i just passed off passed my uh, high school exams and i uh, s- uh, set off to my native place with my grandfather so when I was traveling with my cousins to place I remember uh, I just told them like if since I had the notion that our language is Bhojpuri because Bhojpuri is popular uh, is the re- vernacular region or uh, the region's vernacular and also popularized by Bhojpuri films and songs though in a vulgar and negative often negative perspective uh, but yeah still I thought so i i told them uh, like if that person would have told that point in a native language bhojpuri it would be so interesting but one from them told oh our language is not bhojpuri then i took a surprise and asked oh then what's our language so they told oh you see uh, like the hindu speak bhojpuri and we speak our own language which is something like this then i got to know oh wow oh, like it's 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 a bit strange for me then i can i got convinced that muslims speak differently from hindus and later on when i joined linguistics and in my during my mphil days when i went for field work i so when i went to record a speaker from our village who were a lady who was a muslim for some uh, folk songs then during a 
conversation during a conversation with her and my cousins i realized her language seems very different from ours some constructions which aren't found in our language and when i went back home i asked uh, one of my cousins that why she speaks uh, why that lady speaks like this so she told me oh she's from the other village named daudpur i was wondering what makes daudpur different from our village uh, named uh, uh, sonwara so this point stuck to my all time curious brain and i uh, when i went home uh, in mumbai i asked my grandfather about this my grandfather told me oh uh, that village is all hindus stay there so i thought okay since that village was is a hindu village a hindu dominated village that's why she might be speaking like this in that bhojpuri variety but still uh, yeah during my second field work i realized n- not all muslims speak that variety it is spoken only by the upper class muslims and the muslims living in the villages dominated by these upper class muslims wow that is really interesting so so even within azamgadi there is some class distinction yeah actually the non people living in non uh, upper class dominated villages uh, by the upper class muslims they speak bhojpuri the like others like all the other population since uh bhojpuri is the vernacular of that region mm and that's the language that you always assumed was was your language right before you discovered it true true and uh, the social linguistics uh, like is so complicated that even the muslims um, speaking bhojpuri uh, the lower class muslims not residing in the uh, zamindar dominated the upper class dominated villages uh they speak a muslim variety of bhojpuri with lots of urdu words so it's very difficult especially like for an outsider to judge what is azamgari what is bhojpuri because uh the speakers will claim oh we speak that uh zamindar variety that upper class variety but yet actually they'll assume uh, they'll assert that they speak that muslim variety which is variety spoken by the upper class uh however they speak the uh, the native bhojpuri with a lot of urdu words so they assume that they speak that variety which which happened with that old lady i went to recording folk songs she she wasn't accepting that she speaks bhojpuri and no one in that village speaks bhojpuri all speaks uh, speak that muslim muslim language hmm um it sounds really difficult to to tease apart like what who is speaking what language especially if people you know people are multilingual and there's a lot of influence and language mixing and language changing probably yeah and unfortunately all these hasn't been uh, well documented and uh, described mentioned or even mentioned in like previous works yeah 
Can you speak to some of the advantages or the challenges you've experienced by working with your own language? Uh, yeah, sure. It's something uh, worth talking about. Since as an insider, first I'll start with the advantages. The very first point is no adjustment or very minimal adjustment related issues. Um, you are you belong to that community uh, even though you are mm-hmm. a semi speaker but yeah yes you don't have like i didn't face any issues i have also done field work in the himalayas the zanskar valley of uh, kargil district of the northernmost part of india there i i faced a lot of adjustment related issues and here uh, like no uh, in the mm-hmm. azamgar yeah and uh, there is also no acceptance issues the community like you belong to the community and the community knows you well and uh, you don't need to prove yourself like i am trying to become a part of that community i'm trying to learn your language or i'm trying to uh, do good for you they all know you well and also there was excellent access to almost all speakers I'll mention here with the context of Azamgari since Azamgari uh, linguistic community is a highly conservative community where women do not expose their bodies including their face including their face to a non mahram uh, a, a mahram is a related male person which like your very close relationship with whom you have like a father your brother or your uncle like this so mm-hmm. yeah and i could very well manage access to women's speech uh, and in fact most of my consultants were women and since they had very good command of the language and very good uh, they were very good uh, narrators uh, they were very good narrators and i was so lucky to get uh, such variety of data from them because i was afraid that uh, if some outsider were to document azamgari he or she wouldn't have access to women uh, so she would have access to women but he would wouldn't have access to women so it was because of that uh, parda system uh, where women do not prefer to sit or uh, sit in front and uh, of a non related person Yeah, is this because you were able to work with women who were related to you very closely or um in spite of this custom you were still able to record with non-related women because you were part of the community? Uh yes, in most of the case if you are somehow related to them many people many women also they try to accommodate you for some recordings and uh Uh, they don't feel shy if they know me and uh, are comfortable with me mm-hmm. so uh, like we have a very wide network of relatives uh, and most uh, uh, most of my relatives know me by my uh, either from my be either from my mother's side or my father's side at least by my by the name of my parents or the name of my grandparents even if they don't know me personally and yeah 
and in this case i was uh, when i recorded and I, when i asked him oh, oh can i share your recording online your video recording online so uh, they gave me permission but they told me oh please don't let anyone see our face uh, you could blur our face or something like that <laughs> and another advantage of uh, being an insider is that majority of consultants are willing to help you out you're their child ultimately and there was an outward benefit of being a semi speaker having sufficient knowledge of the language helped me save save time and effort in learning the language and besides also having some con- conversational fluency which is usually not very hassle free to achieve like uh, the case when i i realized when i documented the t- uh, the tibetic languages I, i i could compare i could compare uh, how much how hassle free this uh, this work was for me on azamgari and uh, this resulted in uh, me working smoothly on the collected text with limited guidance required from native speakers thereby require uh, reducing the involved hassle in the almost never ending consultation process mm. and then i move on to challenges disadvantages or challenges the major disadvantage is that the community of in does not take you seriously uh, because they feel uh, they really quite help you uh, because they feel oh you're you're our own child <laughs> but it is very difficult to make them understand why their language is important and especially in the case of azamgari where uh, most of the speakers have ne- negative attitudes towards the, towards that language and they regard urdu as the higher variety because of the diglossic scenario prevailing there and this is quite problematic especially in revitalization in i'm specifically talking about azamgari i I am not sure about other cases uh, other other contexts but this was uh, this is what I observed in Azamgari and also because being a semi speaker of Azamgari and a native speaker of Urdu I quite often noticed my somewhat not so refined knowledge of Azamgari having irresistible prejudices of expected elicited responses and while at the same time my native knowledge of urdu interfering with uh, my perception of their responses and i previously mentioned how interesting but how challenging uh, the dialectal differences were to account and there were so many a lot of differences even between the dialects of, of azamgari and my dialect was somewhat different and my knowledge of azamgari as a semi speaker uh, was from my paternal grandmother and my from my mother who is also a semi speaker so my uh, own azamgari knowledge was from a variety clubbed mixed from an amalgamation from two or three different varieties of that language and i happened to work on a variety which was different from what 
uh, my own variety developed from. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound really tough. <laughs> so it was really tough for me. I think I just have time to ask you maybe one more question. So I would love to know if you could tell us more about the language vitality situation and if there are any revitalization efforts. Um, I know you yourself are a language advocate. Can you talk a bit about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Like when I talk about language attrition and consequently language endangerment, since Azungari linguistic community is a highly diglossic one with Urdu as the H variety and Azungari as the L variety, I observe that the ma- major challenge to the language does not seem to be the number of speakers, uh, rather it's the language attrition, which I closely observed while documenting it. Uh, the speakers of the language are rapidly uh, shifting towards Urdu, very high as very high prestige is associated with Urdu, due to it being the language of official communication and education for hundreds of years in the region, and also due to Urdu's strong association with Muslim identity and the language of propagation, uh, which is the language of pro- pro- the propagation and preaching of Islam, uh, the sole religion of the, of this speech community. And also since uh, due to the pressure from Urdu, Hindi and English, this language is either very loosely or in most cases not at all passed with the younger generation. And urban migration poses the biggest challenge to this language. Hence, this language today is only restricted to rural homes. Also, I mentioned that uh, this uh, majority of speakers have serious negative attitudes towards the language. And they uh, regard, they refer to the language as some rudimentary or rural dialect of Urdu. Uh, even though Urdu is from a different subgroup, Indo-Aryan subgroup, but yes, still. And o- owing to all of these reasons, I faced many challenges and I also keep on facing many challenges while advocating the use of Azamgari. In fact, while documenting Azamgari, I uh, faced some form of indirect resistance to it from some members, despite being a member of the community. I could only imagine in what uh, a scenario an outsider would be if he had been in my place. And I also got comments like, oh, we think we should move ahead in life by getting educated and see this one. After being so much educated, learning English, Hindi, Urdu, and everything has come here only to become illiterate. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, oh, that sounds tough. That really sounds tough. I uh, would uh, be uh, at points very much disheartened and lose all all my interest even in documenting the language. But but yeah, still like I something gave me the power to document uh, to do so. It was like at least. If I could not revitalize this language, a comprehensive record of this language would be there for future generations, which after having realized, oh, uh, even that was a language uh, and a unique language, because you don't find uh, wherein uh, many instances wherein people adopt a language spoken in another region because of its prestige. and uh, uh, while at the same time leaving their own mother language, which was Bhojpuri. And the, this whole scenario uh, becomes interesting 
as there is a lot of variation, a lot of social linguistic complexity involved. So as I move towards uh, language revitalization, uh, first uh, um, I would like to talk about language use. Uh, it's mostly the elder or the older and rural speakers of the community who are fluent and are actually the ones who extensively use this language in their uh, day-to-day lives. Frankly speaking, the community is not very much interested in language revitalization. The younger generation seems not all to be interested in uh, language revitalization. Uh, due to the current pandemic, unfortunately, I could uh, manage uh, this uh, the revitalization efforts only through social media. I created an Azamgari Facebook group uh, wherein I post uh, stuff which which I deposited at the Corsal uh, Computational Resources for South, in- South Asian Languages archive, uh, which is housed at the UNT uh, University of North Texas uh, Digital Library. And also, I created a YouTube playlist for children's stories, wherein I took a particular audio recording, especially of a, a traditional story, and I placed images, cartoon images in that uh, in a running context. So the younger children would really enjoy this. And I think by this, they could find at, oh, at least some work is going in a language and a language is not a, I'm sorry to use this word a bad language or a waste language or a rural language or say but yeah it has got presence on internet and we can find resources in this language. I also created an Instagram account by the title the Azamgari language uh, wherein what I post on my Facebook group I also post there. And I also feel that um, uh, it's mostly also through WhatsApp since elders have hardly any presence on social media, especially Facebook. And from my uh, Facebook friend list of Azamgari relatives and friends, uh, very few are female ones, uh, female ones who are more fluent when compared to the male speakers since they are less multilingual and the rural women uh, haven't got much exposure to uh, languages such as Urdu, Hindi, and English. So, one of the major reasons, also, I suppose, uh, that they are not on Facebook is by restrictions set by by their family. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, all those members use WhatsApp, and I feel that it seems to be the best platform to share language and community-related resources, uh, something which I observed from my relatives and family groups on WhatsApp. Yeah. No, that's great. That's really amazing. I really admire how how you're doing so many things, even in the face of some discouragement from, from others in, in the community. I, I think that's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, thank you, Maz, so much for giving your time. And thank you so much for sharing your story and giving your time to our listeners. Where can people find you online? I will, of course, link all of the things that you just mentioned, um, all of the social media. But if they want to uh, connect with you or learn more, where can they find you? 
uh, yes, Mari, it, it was my pleasure talking to you, and thank you so much for having me on board for your interview. And I feel uh, this interview would also make other people, especially who are in linguistics, aware of this uh, lesser-known language uh, called Azamgari, because even in the linguistic academia, it is not well known. So, yeah, and about me, you you can find me on my website, which I will surely share with you. And I also, yep. and, from, and from there, you could, uh, one can also find me on uh, various social media platforms on on the web and also the materials of Azamgari, the documented materials of Azamgari, which are deposited at uh, the Corsal Archive, uh, they can be found there. Awesome. Great. And I'll link, I'll link all of that. So thank you so much. Well, it was again my pleasure and uh, thanks to you too. You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Evil Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lingfieldnotes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple podcast review. Thanks for listening.